Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, Tax Planning Tips, It's Not Just For Your End, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory on my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandp.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest. Deborah Lozone received her law degree in 1987, where she graduated in the top 5% of her class. She was admitted to practice law in Georgia in 1987 and in 1988 was admitted to practice law in California. In 1994, she began her practice, her private practice, and in 1996 formed Lozone and Euler with over 90% employee-focused employment litigation. She has represented employees in matters involving discrimination, harassment, retaliation, whistleblowing, and wrongful termination, obtaining millions of dollars for her clients. In August 2016, Ms. Lozone began her solo practice where she continues to represent employees in employment litigation matters, as well as severance package reviews and counseling on separations of employment. In addition to a busy law practice, Ms. Lozone is most proud to be the mom of three amazing young women and wife to a wonderful, supportive husband. She also began an exciting new business with Arbonne International, where she helps people get healthy inside and out. So, Deborah, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad that you're here. This is a great topic that we'll be discussing today that employers just really need to understand employment laws and the things that they need to follow. Um, But first, obviously, I gave a bit of background about you. But if you could give us a bit more of your background and how you began working in employment law. Sure. Well, it kind of started in law school. I um, did a lot of work with the labor, labor law professor. I did a lot of research on all 50 states on certain laws and um, helped him write a book about that. And then when I started practicing here in L.A., I was with a fairly large firm in Century City, and I did the defense side, which would be representing employers um, in all kinds of cases that involved employment matters. And then um, once I started my own practice, I did focus mostly on representing employees, but I've always supported small employers, reviewing situations for them, coaching them, reviewing policies and procedures, helping do investigations and that sort of um, things that employers need to do. And I just find this area of law exciting and fun because it's always different. The facts are always different. The law is dynamic and always changing. Mm -hmm. That's what I was and just thinking. Really, <laughs> yeah, always, <laughs> always. Um, and you can really make a difference in somebody's life, which is just an awesome thing to be able to do with your, your job. Right, for sure. 
Well, I know one of the main things that's happened, especially here in California, but I know it's probably, you know, becoming more and more of an impact for businesses across the United States is, you know, this definition of who's an employee versus who can be an independent contractor. So can you talk briefly about, you know, AB5 here regarding the Dynamics case and the most recent update on that ruling? Sure. That's a really important, probably the most important change in our laws uh, over the last, I would say, at least the last five years or so. So it's called the Dynamex case, which I'm sure you've all heard of by now. AB5 is the, the way the law is referred to, the bill, and it was codified in our labor code here in California recently. And basically, it makes it really hard for anyone to be legally classified as an independent contractor it has three parts to this test that you have to go through and look at. And the main one that makes it so hard is if the person that you want to be calling an independent contractor is doing work that's primarily within the scope of what your business does, mm-hmm. then that person cannot be an independent contractor. So um, you can't say, for example, I'm a lawyer and I hire a legal secretary, a legal assistant, and I want to say they're an independent contractor, well, that's not going to be possible because the overall business that I'm engaged in is the law, and legal assistants assist lawyers in the law, right, in the practice of law. Um, And what we find is one about one in ten workers seem to be classified as an independent contractor by the employer when, in fact, they should not be. Mm-hmm. Um, and why does that happen? Cheaper and easier sometimes for employers to do that. Um, but what happens in reality, and I think the reason this law passed in California, is those costs pass directly to the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what the number was, but it was an astronomical loss to the state um, in taxes. And mm-hmm. I think that was the big motivating factor. Yeah, I think it's... I think employers, they're not always purposely trying to, you know, avoid this and misclassify. I think part of it is just a misunderstanding of who, you know, can be and who, you know, can't, you know, be employees and they just don't understand the rules. But I do think sometimes people think, oh, it's just going to cost me a little bit less. I don't have to pay payroll taxes. And so I think we have people on both sides of the coin, um, but it's important to educate them on what the law is and making sure they're aware, you know, as these laws are like I said, ever-changing. I mean, this Dynamics case recently <clears throat> passed and, and ruled as, you know, yes, this is the law. Right. And the, you know the old saying, ignorance is no excuse. <laughs> ignorance of the law is no excuse. Yeah, right. no employer is going to win a case saying, well, I just didn't know or I didn't understand. And quite frankly, a lot of these laws are hard for lawyers to understand. So mm-hmm. I totally understand how employers sometimes don't get it or don't understand. I mean, I'm an employer. I've been an employer. I understand both sides. Um, And I just wanted to say also about this new um, Dynamax law, there are some exceptions that made it through. So there's about eight different professions or, or types of business that are exempt from this law. I don't know if everyone listening would have been reading about Uber and Lyft and other tech companies that really fought to get an exemption under this law, but they lost. 
Mm-hmm. So now they are trying to fund a ballot measure that would exempt them from this new Dynamex AB5 law. Mm-hmm. And there's some carve-outs for contracts for professional services. There's six factors for that. And then, of course, the law defines what's a professional service, and there's a list of about 11 or 12 of what that would be. Um, and then there's a few other little exemptions. So, like I said, I understand that it's complicated, and, and there's a lot of little nuances to look at. But generally speaking, if someone's working in your business, doing something that your business is involved in, I would be very reluctant to call them an independent contractor. Right. Exactly. And I will say, too, I read one of the articles that people who are actually want to be freelance were not so happy about this passing, too, because they like being able to control their own schedule and things like that, too. And now if they're employees, they can't. So it's on both sides. There are some people that are not too happy about it. But we'll see, you know, as this continues to progress, what's going to end up happening. Oh, absolutely. But, and, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. one misunderstanding that I think a lot of people have is, oh, well, I have a contract, or we agreed that I'm mm-hmm. an independent contractor. That doesn't matter to the law. It doesn't right. matter. And I want to just say, to for those who are listening, I did discuss this situation mainly from the IRS perspective. So, again, we have to go on what's stricter, the state or the IRS. But I did, in August uh, this year, have mistakes business owners make and important laws to know in hiring. So this topic that we talk about, the factors, has been uh, covered in prior episodes. So, you know, feel free to go back and listen to that. Uh, But there's so many more things that are what they have to be aware of besides just this one case of if they're independent or not. So can you touch on some of the employment laws that business owners need to know? Sure. So there's a requirement in California that, um, that employers have posted in a general location where the employees would see it you know, normally we say a break room or uh, where you clock in and out or something like that. Um, there's posters required for minimum wage, uh, discrimination, harassment laws, um, workers' comp, all sorts of things that need to be posted. And one of the places that an employer could find that, and I think it's a fairly inexpensive purchase, is through the Cal Chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the U.S. Chamber might have them that are national, but for California, you'd want to talk to the Cal Chamber and just, you know, purchase those posters and put them up because if you don't have those up, you're going to um, be fined and penalized if you get audited or they just pop into your business one day or someone who works for you brings a claim. That's one thing we always look for. Did they have these postings up for people to Mm -hmm. see? Right. And another big one that people talk about a lot is sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do not have a written sexual harassment policy, you pretty much will not have a defense to that kind of claim. And again, another place an employer could get one of these policies, I think they still give you um, pamphlets that you can hand out to the employees. Fairly certain they even have one in Spanish, but that's the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. So you can get that from them. You also need to do training on sexual harassment. Um, although that that deadline just got continued under one of the new laws, um, you now have until January one of twenty twenty one. If you have five or more employees to get that training done, 
And another law that employers, I don't understand exactly why it seems to slip through the cracks, but I see it a lot in cases. They just don't track employees' um, paid time off or paid vacation time, paid sick time, so that it's on a pay stub. Um, so everyone knows, you know, what's owed when you when you leave. Mm-hmm. It's very hard for an employer to say, well, yeah, they get 10 paid days off, but they use six, so I only paid them for four. But you have no records to show that. And the simplest right. way is to track it on a pay stub. Mm-hmm. One other thing I've seen a lot in cases in the last couple of years, especially, is employees who are paid commissions. I don't think many employers understand that an earned commission is a wage, and California is treated like a wage. Mm-hmm. So you have to follow the rules that apply to wages. You know, right. for example, when somebody's terminated, you have to pay them um, right away. So you can't not pay them the commission um, because it's a commission. And I, I have seen that lately. Um, Interesting. I think that's some of the most important ones. Well, and we'll just throw out there again as a reminder that uh, we're focusing a lot on California here, too, just because we're in California. There's a lot of people that listen that are in California. But really, check with your state laws and make sure you're following whatever your state has because states pass laws separately than, you know, the federal government. So it's really important to follow um, those rules. And I think one other thing that we could touch on before we go to break is really the meal and rest periods. Uh, making sure, obviously, that they're following their state laws on that. So is there anything you want to touch on uh, regarding those laws before we go to a break? Sure. And, yeah, you're right. I'm talking about California law mostly because that's where I practice and I'm licensed. Um, So I couldn't tell people, oh, well, in New York you do this because that would be unethical. (laughs) Right. right. Um, So as far as the meal and rest break periods, the most important thing is that you – Make sure that you provide an opportunity for an employee to have a break. Um, If they don't take the break, that's okay as long as you can show you gave them the opportunity. Mm -hmm. But a break and a meal means they're not doing any work. So if you have something you need to get done and you're eating your lunch at your desk so you can get it done, that's, that's not legally a meal break. Right. And there's, there's, you know, different wage orders that say who gets what when. Um, but generally, again, in California, if you work five hours, then you're entitled to the meal break. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of um, class actions lately. Well, not lately, you know, the last five to eight years over meal and rest breaks. I think employers are at risk with that. And so I would su- suggest if, there's an employer listening and has a question about that or they're not sure they're doing it correctly or in compliance, they should definitely talk to a labor attorney wherever they're located. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great advice. And actually, it's a perfect time to go into our first break. Uh, so when we come back, we will continue to chat with Deborah about employment laws. You're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Biz Help For You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to Biz Help For You. Welcome back to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, Deborah Lozone told us about her background, and we began to discuss laws employers need to know. Now, let's talk a bit more about these guidelines. So, Deborah, we were going to break as we were discussing some of the employment laws here in California, um, and I'm sure there's a few more we should touch on. So, do you have any other information regarding updates that you'd like to share? Yes, thank you. There are some other, um, I think, rather key changes in the laws that the uh, our governor just signed here in the last couple of weeks. So, I just want to be sure that employers, especially in California, are aware of these. So one is a statute of limitations, which means that's the time period um, your employee would have to make a claim against you for areas under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, which is discrimination, harassment, retaliation. That used to be one year the employee had to file with that department to get the right to sue the employer, but that just changed to three years. Mm. So that's a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, and another big change is uh, in settlement agreements, employers and employees, almost always an employer wants a no rehire clause. So, you know, employee A sued me or made a claim, we've made a settlement, 
we have a private confidential agreement, and it says that the employee agrees not to be rehired by my company or its affiliates ever again. And if it accidentally got hired, the person got hired, I could fire them um, and not be liable. That has now changed as of one one twenty, January 1st, 2020. You cannot have a no rehire clause in settlement agreements anymore. If you do, your entire agreement could be void. So mm. that's a big one. <laughs> um, and another one is workplace lactation requirements for nursing moms. Um, those requirements just got more stringent and require a lot more than employers must do. Um, to provide to women in the workplace who are nursing and need to pump or need to feed a baby. So those are probably would take a little too much time for me to go into detail about, but that's something to be aware of. So if that's a situation an employer who's listening has going on, again, they should reach out to a labor lawyer and find out if they're doing it correctly. And one other one that I thought was important is called the Crown Act, like the crown of your head. And this is now making it um, part of our Fair Employment and Housing Act in California that the discrimination, harassment, retaliation statute defines race now as including traits historically associated with race, including but not limited to hair texture and protective hairstyles like Hmm. braids, locks, and twists. And I would assume there are listeners who have or may be facing that situation, so they should know about that as well. Mm-hmm. And again, that goes into effect January 1st of 2021. Okay. It's definitely good information to have. They can look into more details, but at least making them aware of the law is important. So what is arbitration then, and is it beneficial? Well, I think that depends on who you talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, basically, arbitration is is another forum for people to to have their grievances or disagreements um, decided. So basically, you waive your right to a jury trial or access to the court system, and you agree to go to the forum called arbitration. So there are Many, 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 many arbitrators nationally. There are arbitration groups that provide arbitration, like the uh, American Arbitration Association. I mean, there's just a there's just a, a multitude of them. Um, personally, in the employment arena, for employment matters. I do not like arbitration agreements because they very much um, favor employers. And for a while, I mean, I understood that employers were really excited about having these arbitration agreements. But what I've seen happening the last few years is this may not be as quick of a resolution as employers initially thought it might be or that it initially was, it is still probably less expensive than litigation. But there are limits, usually, on things like discovery, what you can introduce, and how the arbitration proceeds. Um, 
that applies to employers and employees. So it may not always be beneficial on the employer side as well. And Mm -hmm. it's a binding resolution. So if you lose, barring some very minuscule area where you could appeal, that's it. Mm -hmm. You're done. Okay. Well, it's good for people to be aware of that, too, because I think there's the concept out there, too, like you said, that arbitration is less expensive or it can be um, more timely, right? You don't have to wait for the court system. So I think a lot of people are under the impression that arbitration is a good thing, but you bring up, you know, some great points about that as well. Although I, I will acknowledge that for an employer, it may still be some of those things. But I also need to point out um, one huge change this year in California that recently got signed by the governor as a new law under our Fair Employment and Housing Act, which, again, is discrimination, retaliation, um, harassment. There can no longer, as of January 1, 2020, be what's called a forced arbitration between an employer and an employee for those kinds of claims. Mm. So that's that's a that's a huge factor because there are so many employers a huge percentage of employers now have these arbitration agreements and you go to apply for a job and it's given to you and all the massive loads of paperwork that you get and and you don't even have to sign it for the court to uphold it that's not going to work anymore for an mm-hmm. employer so they need to know you have to carve out those claims rewrite your arbitration agreement uh, as of January 1, 2020. Okay, thanks for sharing that too. That's good information. So can you touch on retaliation and the whistleblower laws? Sure. We're all hearing a lot about whistleblower these days and what that is. Um, Let me start with retaliation. Again, under the Fair Employment and Housing Act, retaliation is not allowed, and that act protects employees who complain about um, discrimination, harassment, based on race, gender, age, religion, disability, sexual orientation, and any of the other protected categories that are listed under that act. So if an employee made a complaint about, oh, hey, I think my boss discriminating against me because of my age, then that employee would be protected from any retaliation for making the complaint. And that that could be as obvious as a termination or a demotion, or it could be something like taking away duties, changing their hours, reducing the wage, anything that can be seen as having a negative effect on their job or their ability to promote Mm -hmm. would possibly be retaliation. Now, whistleblower, while it's kind of the same, it's really not. Um, We have a special law in California under the labor code for whistleblowing in the employment arena, and that protects employees who complain about activity going on at work that they think might be illegal. I said they think might be. They don't have to be right. They just have to say they think it might be Mm -hmm. illegal or unlawful, or they refuse to participate 
inactivity, say your boss told you to go embezzle some money or, you know, cook the books or whatever, you're protected if you say no under this Mm -hmm. statute. And it's broader than the retaliation I talked about under the Fair Employment and Housing Act. And it also covers you if, say, you and your husband work in the same place and he made a complaint, it covers the family member as well. Mm, So they couldn't fire me because my husband made a complaint about illegal conduct. That, that makes or sense just too. exercising. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, as I say, that makes sense. You know, you don't want to have a family member worried if I say something, my other family member is going to get laid off, you know, or fired. Or right, right, and it protects somebody for just exercising these rights. Mm-hmm. And it used to be if you disclose this, thinking it's illegal to a government entity, but now it can just be someone within the company who has the authority to investigate it or the authority to make sure it's not happening. So it's a lot broader than it used to be. Mm. Oh, okay. There's so much to know. <laughs> you know I mean, I'm glad we're <laughs> Yes, on there this. is. <laughs> <laughs> so I know we briefly talked about sexual harassment in, you know, the first segment before we went to break. Um, but can you explain what's considered harassment, whether it's sexual or non-sexual? Sure. And it's a very broad word that I think people confuse a lot. I get at least three or four calls a week, somebody saying, I'm being harassed at work. And what I tell them is, it's not illegal for the boss to be a jerk. That's not harassment. It has to be um, something that's negative or inappropriate or unwanted conduct. It can't be like a personality conflict or you know, my boss doesn't like me. That That's not harassment. Or they're giving me too much work. That's usually not harassment either, unless they're giving you too much work because you're the only woman there and they're not giving all the work to the men. Or It has to be based on something more than they just don't like me. It really mm-hmm. needs to fall under one of those categories under the Fair Employment and Housing Act. Or it has to be a very severe kind of um, negative behavior. Okay. That makes sense. And I think just uh, that we've been focusing so much lately on the sexual harassment because, again, in California, that law had been passed. We were supposed to have people trained by January 1st, 2020, which, as you mentioned, has now been extended to 2021. But I don't think we always focus on just harassment in general. Um, But it's good to touch on that as well. And right, because people, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that comments are made um, in the workplace that are negative based on um, people's race, gender, sexual orientation, disability, age. All of that can be considered harassment. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be sexual comments. It doesn't have to be a physical touching. Right. And I think sometimes people don't realize, you know, there's kind of this stereotype before, too, that, you know, men used to joke around a lot and they would make some comments and they don't necessarily realize that that could be considered harassment as well. In their mind, they're just kind of playing around, um, but making sure that everyone is aware of kind of what is considered appropriate and what is not. Right, right. I, I wouldn't want to have a work environment where anything that you would consider playing around would be tolerated or... They're horsing around, it's horseplay, 
Um, I've had some cases like that recently with a couple of guys, you know, horse playing around where men are actually touching each other or doing inappropriate things to one another, but thinking it's it's a funny kind of thing, but mm-hmm. somebody else who's there may be offended by it. Right. Exactly. So, well, I think it's actually just about time for our next break. So uh, when we come back, we're going to hear more from Deborah Lozone regarding employment laws that you need to understand to avoid a claim. So we'll be right back after this brief commercial break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. Today, I'm chatting with Deborah Lozone to help you know what laws to follow to avoid an employment claim. Let's find out a bit more information on this topic. So, Deborah, why should employers be concerned about these employment laws, especially if they're a small employer? Well, first, I would hope they would want to be concerned about them because they want to be a lawful, good employer. (laughs) But if that's not the case, then um, one case, one claim under these types of laws could really destroy a business. And if you're a small business, it can shut you down. Um, I know you mentioned earlier about some IRS issues with the Dynamex situation. And, you know, I know of an example like a construction, small construction company that misclassified someone and 
70000 or more just in penalty payments. I mean, these mm-hmm. kinds of claims can be very large. The verdicts in an employment case, um, if the employee wins, are usually mid to six to high six figures or, or greater. So mm. for small businesses especially, that's just... Um, that's really a lot. And then you're going right. to be responsible for the employee's attorney's fees and some cost. That's just on the, the, the litigation, oh, I got sued side. You may also face penalties from the state. Um, if you have labor code violations, there's more penalties. I already mentioned the IRS. So there's a lot of reasons that you want to be concerned and make sure that you are compliant with all of these laws. Mm-hmm. You really don't want to have an issue with the IRS, I don't think. <laughs> right, for sure. So what can an employer do to be proactive and implement preventative measures? Well, one thing I think they should look into is EPLI insurance, which is Employment Practices Liability Insurance. Uh, my understanding from my friends in the insurance business is that's a fairly low-cost Insurance policy, I think it's a special rider you have to get um, that may help you out on these kinds of claims. So I would always suggest that people look at that. Um, Educate themselves so they know uh, what they're responsible for. Because like I said earlier, just saying, well, I didn't know that was a law I had to follow will get you nowhere. (laughs) And then you need to train management and the employees. There's so many times, I think it's good for for employers to hear from someone like me who practices mostly the employee side, because I see all the mistakes and problems that employers do, and sometimes it's the same thing over and over and over, and having a manager who doesn't do the training or doesn't take it seriously and then is creating some hostile work environment or violating one of these laws cost the employer hugely. If it's a management employee, you may even be strictly liable as the employer for that employee, even if you didn't know it was happening. Mm -hmm. So it's very serious for for the employer to understand the laws and to make sure they're doing what they can. Um, Obviously, you need to communicate with the employees what the laws are. Um, You need to have written policies and procedures, especially how to make a complaint. If you're an employee and you have a complaint about, you know, let's make it easy, sexual harassment, how do they do that? You need to have Mm -hmm. a written procedure or policy to follow. But then here's the key. The employer needs to follow the policy that they put in writing. And again, many times I see that not happening. Human resources is a great area for an employer to have, but sometimes those folks are human. Mm-hmm. No pun intended, human resources. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they're a little, um, they're a little afraid of, of doing an investigation or saying, you know, the CEO is engaging in inappropriate conduct. So you have to make sure you have some policies and procedures in effect to take care of these fears of retaliation or retribution 
and then everyone knows what this company's policies and procedures are. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the best ways to be proactive and have preventative measures. And again, if you don't have a written policy, some of these claims, you, you again, will not have a defense. Right. Mm-hmm. So really what does an employer do? Well, as I said, what does, that leads right into, you know, someone's filing a claim. So what do they do if they receive a notice of a claim or a lawsuit? Okay, so a claim, like you might receive that by getting a letter from a lawyer that says, I represent, you know, Miss Smith, and she worked for you, and you fired her, and you're in trouble, so to speak, and here's why. That's really like a claim. Um, And the first thing you would want to do is tender that to your insurance carrier, because maybe you have some insurance policy as the employer, as a business that would cover it, like that EPLI policy I mentioned. But mm-hmm. it could be um, directors and officers policy. So you always want to do that. Again, if you have a labor attorney, obviously let them know right away. Mm-hmm. And then you want right. to see what it's about, gather up the file, the documents, whatever someone would need to look at to assess the claim and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, If you get a lawsuit, however, that's a different thing. So if you're an employer and you get served with a lawsuit, the time limit is very short. You have 30 days to respond to that. You need to take immediate action. Contact your attorney. If you don't have one, get a recommendation from someone you know because you need to have a response done timely to that lawsuit. Not like a claim. A claim doesn't have a time. I mean, lawyers might impose some random time they want you to respond but that's really kind of meaningless but you Hmm. do have to immediately respond to a lawsuit and then documentation is so important in these cases or the lack thereof let me say (laughs) you know you have a case you have an employee who works somewhere 10 years okay they sue you almost every employer for some reason then they always want to say, oh, that was such a bad employee. They were terrible. They, their performance was horrible. And then we get the file, and what do we have? Ten years of glowing reviews, raises, promotions, not a single write-up. Mm. That is not good for an employer. Right. <laughs> you will likely lose, right? Juries do not believe you when your documents don't match your story. Mm-hmm. So if, and, and I know it's hard. I mean, sometimes it's really hard, especially if you're a small employer and you're all close, you know, you work together, you like family. It's hard to tell somebody, you know, your performance isn't up to par or these are issues you have to work on, but you really have to do it. And you need to document that you did it and right. have that person acknowledge it. They don't have to sign the document agreeing to everything you said, but they need to sign the document that they received the document and the information. Right. And if someone refuses to sign that, would you then go to, I mean, obviously if you have a manager in your building or your facility or something, that's one thing, but if it's a small business, do you go to someone else and just say, can you, you know, notate that I had a meeting with them and they were supposed to sign, but they refused? Like what would an employer do in that case where, an employee doesn't want to acknowledge receipt? Um, well, one thing for sure they can do is 
make a notation on the document during the meeting. Employer refused to sign. Um, another thing that you could do is um, email. Emails are evidence. People don't seem to understand. And, and in these days, text messages, I mean, everything is being found and used in lawsuits. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to see your text or your email come back up and pop up on a big overhead you know, video in a courtroom <laughs> someday, be careful what you write. <laughs> Right. Because it is evident. So let's say the employee wouldn't sign the paper. You would make a notation on the document. And then I would say you should email the employee later and say, I just want to confirm that you and I met yesterday at, from 1 to 3 and we reviewed your performance and, and I told you there were some issues and attached is the document that I gave you and you refused to sign it, but I want to be sure you have a copy. If this is an incorrect um, and now, you know, a synopsis of our meeting, please let me know. Mm-hmm. Because when you tell somebody, okay, I'm confirming we had this conversation or this meeting, or here's a document, and if it's incorrect, let me know. And then they never say anything. They never respond. We can use that, um, we lawyers, to say, hey, that's the evidence of what the truth is. Right. Because if it wasn't true, the person would have responded. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And I know you were talking earlier about some of the agencies, but can you just explain to our listeners the difference between the Labor Board, the EEOC, and the DFEH? Sure. So the Labor Board basically handles issues regarding wages and payment of wages, those kinds of claims. Um, An employee can file a, a claim with the Labor Board. They fill out forms. They have employees at the labor board that help them. And then it's usually assigned to, uh, I forget what they call them now, commissioner maybe or, sorry, Mm -hmm. I don't remember what they call the person they assign it to. But anyway, they then contact the employer. The employer has a chance to respond. Generally, the first step um, is always to try to have a resolution. So you may be called in for a meeting with both sides and the labor board, and we'll call them commissioner for lack of a better word because I can't make sure that's the word, and you sit down and you have a meeting and you try to resolve the matter. You can have a lawyer present, but you don't have to. A lot of cases get resolved that way. Mm-hmm. A lot, lot, lot of cases. Um, if not, then you can have a hearing with the labor board, and then if win or lose, you can then file a lawsuit about it if you weren't happy with the results, either side. So that's what the Labor Board does in essence. Okay. The EEOC, that's the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, that's the federal agency that handles discrimination, harassment, retaliation type cases. So if you work for a federal um, employer, federal government, Um, You always would need to file with the EEOC, and many times employers want their case to be filed with the EEOC because if the employee ends up suing you or you're going to litigation, um, that might help you get your case to federal court, which is a more favorable forum, generally speaking, for employers. 
Okay. But it's, and it's then quickly, I was just to say we're almost out of time. So quickly give uh, that final definition of the DFEH and then let us know if you have an offer you want to share and how to reach you as well. Okay, sure. Department of Fair Employment and Housing, and that's a California state agency that does basically what the EEOC does on a federal level. Um, so okay. that's where you file your claim in the state. Um, I was going to say that I generally do a free phone consultation for employees who want to talk and see if they even have an issue to talk about. Um, I review policies for employers, make sure you're in compliance, and I'm offering your listeners a 10% off of that review. And I also do workplace investigations for employers when they have a claim, and I'm offering the employers uh, who are listening, if they have that issue, arise $100 off of their workplace investigation fee. And I can be reached at Deborah, D-E-B-R-A, at Lozone Law, L-A-U-Z-O-N-L-A-W dot com. My office number is 310-802-1500. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. There's like so much information. We barely even touched the surface, really, of all the things that we could really talk about. But I'm glad that you were here to explain it all to our listeners. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about employment laws and what you need to do to be in compliance. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Deborah at any of the information that she has shared with you. Or you can send us a message at media at ab. ANDP.com. Next week's topic is how to become famous in your niche market. I hope you can join us for this presentation. And please remember you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and my website, www.abandp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Remember to tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't join us for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on www.voiceamerica.com or find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Biz Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.